want to welcome you today to Hope for the Heart. And I want to uh, say right at the beginning, I have finished the series. If you've been on the website, you've noticed, or if you've been following, you noticed that I finished Psalm 19, at least what I wanted to cover in Psalm 19. And so I want to give us uh, an introduction today to a new book uh, that I want to be studying, and it is the book of Revelation. I invite you to join with me from week to week as we go through what I think is going to be a very exciting book. I love this book. I, I know several people say, you know, William's an expert on this, but I want to assure you right at the beginning, William is not an expert on this. Uh, I love the book just like many of you love the book, and so we're going to be able to dive into this and look at some of these things together. And I will do expositional studies uh, and some narrative-type studies wherever they need to be. Uh, as you know, this is a very long book. Uh, relatively speaking, there's, I think, 404 verses, and so I, I plan to do more than a verse at a time, or otherwise it would take forever to get through the book. And so I want to cover as, uh, as rather quickly some of these passages, but uh, time will tell just how we are able to arrange that. But today I want to begin with the book of Revelation, and I want to give you Actually, the first verse uh, between now and the next message, I plan to do two messages a week. And the, the, uh, those two messages combined will cover verses 1, 2, and 3. We'll slow down a little bit at the beginning because it's a rather long book, like I said. But if I, if I don't take some bigger chunks and cover it a little rapidly, we could spend the, probably the rest of our, our, our lives here in the book of Revelation, so I, I don't plan to do that. But I do want to take the introduction a little slower because of what is in it. So I want to begin today by reading the passage of Scripture, and it's found in the book of Revelation, verse 1. And as I even say that, I'm looking at the awesome task ahead of me as far as teaching this tremendous, tremendous book. One book that uh, is probably the uh, most abused or most misused or most neglected or feared book to teach actually would be this book. And so I approach it uh, with somewhat fear and trembling as uh, I anticipate God's richly blessing us through this book. In fact, this book even starts off with telling us that God will bless us. Listen to this verse. If you want to follow along, you may. I want to read beginning in verse 1 and read uh, three verses for us today. So as I read with verse 1, the Word of God reads this way, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the Word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to be able to look at a book like this because it is a very important book, and I know that it uh, does have 404 verses in it. And uh, if I just projected it out the way most expositional studies go, it would take about 800 messages to get it all done, but I want to do that in much quicker time. So it's uh, necessary to give you uh, some information on this, but from the very beginning, I want you to know that God uh, intends some things to be sealed. Back in Daniel chapter 12, verse 9, the scripture says, These words 
are sealed up until the end times. But the book of Revelation is not to be sealed. This book is not to be sealed. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 10, it says, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. That's quite a bit different than the book of Daniel. For the time is near. Don't lock it up. Don't hide it away. Don't cover it. Don't seal it. Uh, Furthermore, it's the only book in the Bible that opens and closes with a blessing to the reader. And I expect all of us to be blessed. Those who follow along week to week uh, or, or catching up with, uh, if you miss a week, it's always, on, it's always recorded. But uh, it's a blessing to the reader, and it's not to be sealed. It is a blessing. Revelation also is the last book in the divine library. It's, uh, it's God's last word. Uh, what began in Genesis ends in Revelation. And so you can begin to see a broad picture uh, through this Bible, as you, as you, if you were able to read from Genesis and get all the way to to Gen- to, Gen- uh, to Revelation, excuse me, in Genesis you have the uh, the commencement or the beginning of heaven and earth. In Revelation you have the ending or the consummation of heaven and earth. In Genesis you have the entrance of sin and curse, uh, and the curse. In Revelation you have the end of sin and the end of the curse. In Genesis, you have the dawn of Satan and his activities. In Revelation, you have the doom of Satan and his activities. I'm not trying to make these rhyme. I'm just giving you some statistical information. Uh, In Genesis, you have the tree of life. Uh, In Revelation, you have the tree of life regained. And in Genesis, death enters. In Revelation, death exits. In Genesis, sorrows begin. In Revelation, we find sorrow is banished. In Genesis... A paradise is lost. In Revelation, paradise is regained. But most central, in Genesis, the Savior is promised. In Revelation, the Savior is preeminent. And so we are in for, I think, a journey. A journey for, our, uh, for the joy in all that is set before us. Uh, to see the glory of what is to come as God brings all of redemptive history to its great end. So, in order to uh, acquaint us with this, I I intended to give this introduction, in which I am doing, Uh, but the book is a very uh, exciting book in in a lot of ways that I think will become more and more uh, important for us. So, I think we're going uh, to say it like this. we're, We're going on a journey, and this journey is into the future. In fact, the title of this message is A Glimpse of the Future. Because of what I'm I'm giving you here, we're going on a journey into the future. We're going to see things that I think are shocking. We're going to see things that are are, are thrilling. We're going to see things that are surely to be labeled as troubling. We're going to see things joyful. We're going to see things painful. We're going to see things encouraging. And we're going to see things disturbing. We're also going to see things blessed. And what we're going to see could never be known if it were not for this book. Now, this is not an evangelistic book. It's not designed really for unbelievers, though its power will impact unbelievers who hear its truth. Uh, God will use it to save. It, it, It is a book of hope for Christians. It was given, first of all, to Christ, for whom to know fully, and for the record uh, laid down before the eyes of his children uh, his people, the future glory, will belong to him. But it, it fascinates people, I think, uh, more importantly, 
to, to look at a book like this. It's always been a fascination. And through the years, <clears throat> I know when I graduated from seminary in, in 1984, wow, that seems like such an eternity away. Uh, I guess that also speaks to my age, but when I graduated from seminary, there was more of a, a fascination about the future. There was more of a fascination about the book of Revelation and the study of prophecy. Uh, it just seemed like everybody is fascinated about the future. But I, I don't see it as much today uh, that I did. I see a lot of fanaticism. I see a lot of um, uh, just weird things being taught and a lot of superstition things being taught and uh, just a lot of things. But everybody wants basically to know the future. That's why they go and they read horoscopes. That's why they fumble around with fortune cookies uh, in Chinese restaurants. It's just that little bit of information they want to know. That's why they go to people to supposedly read their, their palms or tell their fortune. But really, when you, when you look at it, no one knows the future. That is left only to God. God is the one, and in this book, he gives it to us. Uh, which brings to mind, I don't know why so many people are so fearful of this book, but they actually are fearful of this book, and they try to stay away from this book. Uh, but And I'll get into a little bit more of that in just a minute. But I want to say at the onset that this book is a, is a very hard book for most people to understand, even though it should not be a hard book to understand. And I want to give you one of the reasons, and I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but periodically I will be given more and more information uh, about what I'm about to say, and that is that people are really confused about the role of Israel and the role of the church as far as history or prophecy is concerned. As far as what God's agenda is for uh, Israel and what God's agenda is for the church, it just seems to, to confuse people. And I, I really believe that those who have the, some of the hardest time in Revelation, uh, other than unbelievers, they naturally are going to have a hard time in Revelation because it's written for believers uh, to be blessed by. So, but the one group of people that really have a hard time in the book of Revelation are people who cannot get it straight in their mind what God has done and has laid out for the nation of Israel. You see, if you're confused about Israel, uh, and I say confused because it, it, it is, there's so many people that are confused. They don't take the time to really understand what God is doing and has done through the nation of Israel. We cannot overlook that. I can't emphasize enough the importance of separating the church from Israel whereby many people combine the two and actually say that the church replaces Israel and they get confused about end times. I know that when I took my first staff position out of seminary, uh, the very first church, the uh, pastor came up to me one day and said, and then, Wait a minute, you, I know all about Dallas Theological Seminary and what y'all believe about the end times and the second coming and and uh, tribulation and the kingdom and all this stuff. And I want you to know I am very different about that. I, am an, uh, I do not believe in a millennium. I am an amillennialist. And I don't ever want to get into a debate with you because I respect you and your education. I just think that they are wrong on those points related to end times or what we would say eschatology. 
And I said, well, uh, I have a question. He said, well, I don't want to debate it with you. I said, well, I don't want to debate it. I just, you've got my interest peaked. Uh, I, I just want to ask you a simple, just a question, if you'll just give me one answer. <coughs> and I said, being an amillennialist, what do you do with the book of Revelation? And he said, well, that's actually a very good question. He said, but I hadn't figured it out yet. I don't know what to do with the book of Revelation. I said, well, the reason you don't know is because what? What would be the number one reason you don't know? Is it because you think that most of this has already happened? Or that the Antichrist has already come? Or that the kingdom has already come? He said, yes, yes to all those things. I said, you believe the Antichrist has already come? He said, yes. I said, wow. I just, I missed it. I, 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 evidently, I was a, you know, of course, I was trying to be smart, like I guess. But the point is, he's very confused. If I had time to have gone into this with him, he would have been very confused. He would be one of those who, who would say that Israel forfeited all of its promises. They forfeited all of its privileges, forfeited all those things that God declared in the covenant that he would give to them in the future. They forfeited by disobedience to the Mosaic covenant. And basically, what that means is the covenant that God gave them, it's Abrahamic covenant, in Genesis 12, it's repeated in 15, it's repeated in 17 and 18, and you see it so many times, and then it's... uh, uh, we, we also have drawn into that the, the covenant, of the Mosaic covenant, and, and other things. But they believe that the, the, uh, Israel forfeited it by disobedience to the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant is just the covenant that we look at as coming from Mount Sinai and the covenant that he made with them. They believe that uh, the, these people that are confused or what we call amillennialists, uh, by their apostatism, their true religion, by the rejection of the Messiah. All of these things added to Israel being rejected. Therefore, they would say, Israel has been permanently set aside so that the only kingdom will be the kingdom that is in operation right now with the church. The church is living in the kingdom because the kingdom is where God is and where God rules. And so, that's what they believe. And so, if that's the case, then you take an amillennialist, in which I am not, I am a premillennialist, pre-tribulationist, and I do not believe like they do. But if you take what they believe is an amillennialism, you would see that they are very confused about Israel. And if you're confused about Israel, and you don't know what to do with Israel, and you think the church has replaced Israel, guess what? you're probably not going to get a thing out of the book of Revelation, especially in chapters like chapter 13, where the Antichrist reigns and rules uh, the world, and uh, they see that that's already happened through Nero or through different other leaders through the the past history. They see the the kingdom is, is now, so they don't see a coming kingdom. They see, some some of them see Christ will come back, but he doesn't come to set up his kingdom. Uh, far be it from that, that he does not come for that. And so if that's the case, you can see that where we believe that certain things are true of, of the book of Revelation, like Revelation chapter 20 speaks so directly about the kingdom uh, and, and specific about the number of years that the kingdom is, uh, that it would be 
silly for them to even consider reading this because it goes against everything else they believe. And so I'm saying all that to say this. Uh, Stick with me. Let me give you a chance to go through some of this with me. And off and on, I will be giving you more and more as it relates to the kingdom, more and more as it relates to Israel. Because, see, I don't believe that Israel did forfeit. I believe every one of the promises that God has promised Israel, he is going to keep them. Now, I don't believe they're happening right now, many of them. I think they're going to happen in the fulfillment that is coming for the nation of Israel during the kingdom. The kingdom meaning a 1,000-year kingdom that Jesus comes back to this earth, sets up his kingdom, and reigns physically or on this physical earth, his kingdom. I know it sounds extraordinary, but I really believe that's what the Bible teaches. And so I base the book of Revelation on that supposition that the, the second coming is, uh, is, is premillennial. It, and the reason is so that he can come back and set up his kingdom. So with that in mind, uh, it's going to get interesting for some people. They, they're not going to be able to listen to this because they don't believe, like I do, in the kingdom. Now, granted, the kingdom is, we're not going to really look at that specifically until we get to Revelation chapter 20. That's a long way off. So you might say, well, Pastor, why are you giving me all of that now? I'm giving it all to you now because the book of Revelation is about Israel. The book of Revelation is about the Jews. If you're confused about them and think that God has abandoned them permanently, then the book of Revelation cannot make sense to you and uh, will not make sense to you because all through here we see the nation of Israel. We see the reinstituting of the temple. We see the uh, well, we see the 144,000 at work. We see so many things we, 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 that are uh, really a part of Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. It's almost like you can take Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 and read those and give the explanation of those, and you can see how they, they fall into place when you get to the book of Revelation. And again, Revelation is not to be sealed up. It's not to be uh, discarded. In fact, that brings me to, I'll go ahead and begin some of this outline to give you, because I do want to get some of this down today. Uh, I'm giving you that about the information about the church in Israel. And believe me, I've only just scratched the surface. Uh, I can give and have given sometimes weeks, uh, as many as six weeks, on looking at the difference and the purposes that God is working through with Israel and also the church and the distinction between the two. So with this passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 1, I want to look at, uh, I'm not going to get much past the very first verse today, if I even get past the first verse. But the first thing I want you to notice is this book, the very first verse, gives us the, the nature of the book. That is the nature of the book. Uh, And I have to stop right there because I want to explain this to you. And uh, by giving you the, the number one on the outline, the nature of the book, it is the revelation. That is the key to everything that follows. Here are truths that have been concealed and are now revealed. 
These are there are truths in the Book of Revelation that were carried, uh, are, were carried on the back of symbols, carried on the back of figures of speech in the Old Testament. There are truths in the Book of Revelation that were veiled in prophetic language in the Old Testament. There, and I'll say it again: there are no direct quotes from the Old Testament in this entire Book of Revelation. Uh, there are no direct quotes out of all hundred or four hundred and four verses. There are no less than 275 of them uh, that have some reference to or connection with the Old Testament prophetic truth. But the relationships are not in terms of quotations, but in terms of connections and references rather than direct quotations. Now, that may not mean much to you. That's just a bit of uh, introductory material. But I want to say, as I look at the nature of this again, it has to do with the very first thing that the book says in verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation there is an explosion of detail about the, the return of Jesus Christ. And, and by that, it means all that is going to follow here. But let me just give you a little bit about that word. Uh, this is the revelation that is revealing. The word revelation is the word apocalypse. And we understand, we see movies uh, about this. In fact, there's been a lot of science fiction, a lot of uh, things about uh, the apocalypse that have all been just so distorted and abused that we almost don't even know what it means. But the word apocalypse, which is translated revelation here, uh, is the word that is literally means to take the cover off. That's what the word means. So when it says the revelation, it means the taking off of the cover or the unveiling, to take the cover off, to uncover or to unveil or to reveal. That word is used 18 times in the New Testament. When it's used of a person, it always indicates that that person becomes visible. Now, whatever the word is used, whenever the word is used of a person, it means that that person becomes visible, so that what you have here is truth becoming clearly visible. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? That to take take this book, the book of Revelation, and it says the unveiling or the uncovering of something. So, the word apocalypse is first used in Luke chapter two. Just let me give you a, a sample of of how it's used, so we might get an idea of it. In Luke chapter 2, and I just need to let you know uh, that it's used so many times, and I, I may give you a couple of other instances, but it needs to be understood in relation to the book of Revelation. Luke chapter 2, verse 28, <clears throat> we have the parents of the Lord bringing him into the temple, the baby Jesus, where he is met by a man named Simeon, verse 25 of chapter 2, a righteous, devout man looking for the consolation of Israel, looking for the Messiah. In other words, the Holy Spirit was on him. And he takes the baby, baby Jesus, in verse 28, into his arms, and with the baby Jesus in his arms, he blessed God and said, now listen to this. Now, Lord, you do... Do let your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. That is, I can now die. I can die because I have seen the Messiah. And look at, listen to what he, look at how he says it in chapter 2, verse 28 and following. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Well, you say, well, where is it? Well, the word revelation, when it says a light of revelation, that's the same word as Revelation chapter 1, the second word, the revelation. It's the same word, apocalypse, translated there, uh, the light of revelation. And in the book of Revelation, it's just called the revelation. This word apocalypse, a light of apocalypses, an unveiling or an uncovering, literally in the case of Luke chapter 2, it is this baby Jesus, a person made visible. Now the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, has been made visible to Simeon. And so he literally can see when God reveals this to him that he is holding the baby Jesus in his arms and he sees the Messiah. It has been made visible and it speaks of the shining forth of a person. In 1 Peter 1.7, the word is translated appearing, uh, apocalypse. In, in 1 Corinthians 1.7, it's translated the coming or arrival. In Romans 8.19, it's translated manifestation. So it means all those things, an unveiling, an uncovering. Uh, someone made visible and shining forth of a person for all to see. The appearing, the arrival, the manifestation. That is the nature of that word. Now, there is truth in the statement that all Scripture is revelation. That's true. But in a very special way, this book that is labeled Revelation, it is the revelation, notice and it, what it says. It says, of, of Jesus, which brings me to the second point on the outline. That is the theme. So number one on the outline is the nature of the book is the revelation. It's the unveiling or the uncovering. But number two, the theme, and the theme, he goes right into this. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, it is the uncovering. It reveals Jesus Christ shining forth. So here we see, I guess what we could say is the blazing glory of Christ revealed. Now, many people assume, and I need to uh, comment on this, that this book hides things. That is a hard, I've even had my pastors in the past tell me, the book is confusing, it's ambiguous, there's all kinds of hidden messages and hidden truth. But that's not what I read here in the introduction. This book doesn't hide things. People read this book and are absolutely confused by it. My question is why? People read it and assume that it is some kind of mysterious, strange, exotic, unsolvable riddle, some puzzle that makes man... Uh, Things gives to man some things that can never be understand understood. They assume that it is vague or obscure or complex or incomprehensible and confusing. I've had so many pastors tell me that. But this book, the book of Revelation, is not hiding the truth. This book is the revelation. It is important to note. It is not the covering. It is the uncovering. And what does it reveal? What does it uncover? Well, many things. Many things. As we look at the book, we find that it reveals warnings to the church about sin. It reveals the instruction to the church about the need for holiness. It reveals the amazing power and the, the glorious overcoming strength of Christ and the true 
and, and the Christian over sin and Satan. It reveals the, the triumph of believers who are, are killed for the cause of Christ. We'll begin to see that tremendously as we get into chapter 6 of, of the book of Revelation. It reveals the glory of worship. It reveals the end of human history. It reveals the final political setup. It's where we march into Revelation 17 and 18, uh, the final setup of the political world. It reveals the triumph of God's saving purpose. It reveals the career and the work and the purpose of the Antichrist and the final battle that many have abused as well called the Battle of Armageddon and the alignment of the nations that we'll begin to see taking shape in Revelation 16. This book also reveals the need to fight the forces of evil patiently. It reveals the glories of Christ's kingdom on earth and the new heaven and the new earth. It reveals the triumph ultimate of God's saving purposes. No matter what Satan endeavors or seeks to do, it reveals the victory of Christ over all powers, human and demonic. It reveals the final end of Satan. Now, here's the thing. If you can follow all of that, it is the opposite of a puzzle. That's what this book of Revelation introductory material is given us by giving us the nature and the theme. It is the opposite of the puzzle. It is the opposite of a mystery. It is not a covering. It is not a hiding. It is unveiling. And so we say its nature is the revelation, and that word is chosen very carefully by John. It is the apocalypse, the unveiling, the disclosure of details given to us in this book. Now, that in itself makes it exciting for me. That in itself unlocks the, 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 the fear and gives me an anticipation towards marching through this book with my eyes wide open and teaching the truths that God reveals to me. I can't wait to get into this book. The history of the end of the universe and how it will take place and what will come after that, to me, that is... That is exactly what what God is giving to us here, so why not study it? The history of the end of the universe, think about that. Is the end of the universe going to come uh, in our lifetime? Well, these are questions we're going to answer. And will it take place and what will come after that? In fact, the best way to say it is it's front-page story of the future of the world written by someone who was there, John. God brought him up, and now this is the front-page edition of the story of what he was permitted to see. And then, unlike Paul, who wasn't permitted to tell anybody what he saw, John is told to write it down. He's told to give it to us. And so, uh, I can't go any further than that on this, uh, this podcast, but I can say this. Boy, listen to the next one. I'm going to do two of these a week, maybe in some cases do three a week. And so I hope that you will stick with us because this is God's Word. And I want to encourage you to to follow along as we get into this. Uh, I'm not going to do an exegesis of of the newspaper or of the signs, but we're going to take a look at the signs. We're going to take a look at Israel and the church, and we're going to look at some parts of of Daniel. We're going to look at some parts of Joel. We're going to look at several parts of Isaiah and several parts of Ezekiel. So it's going to be a broader look than just Revelation. So I encourage you to follow along. Text me questions. Uh, I would even, if you text me questions, I'll give you my email. I'll give you my, my cell phone number. 
I want to help you understand if you want to understand. And together we'll find the right answers that are glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I thank you today for listening and tuning in to Hope for the Heart as we begin this exciting journey of, a, of, of walking through the book of Revelation together. Thank you so much. Talk to you next time.